children are there, their families, and then people take advantage of uh, uh, the women workers, including minors. So we discovered that there was no code of conduct, whether on sexual harassment or gender-based violence of any kind in the market before. Hello, sisters and brothers, and welcome to the Solidarity Center podcast, the interview show that highlights and celebrates the individuals working for labor rights, the freedom to form unions, and democracy across the globe. I'm your host, Shauna Bader-Blau. I'm also the executive director of the Solidarity Center in Washington, D.C. We're the largest U.S.-based international worker rights organization. We empower workers to raise their voice for dignity on the job, for justice in their communities, and for greater equality in the global economy, and for one just future. We talked with some of our guests last season about an international treaty on violence and harassment at work called Convention 190, or simply C-190. It would help workers, employers, and governments everywhere stop sexual harassment and other forms of gender-based violence. We heard how workers and their unions are campaigning to get their governments to ratify C-190 so that it will be in force in their countries. But even before governments act on C-190, some unions are taking steps to ensure workers benefit from the incredibly powerful rights it provides. In Lesotho, a country next to South Africa, a coalition of unions and women's and workers' rights organizations worked with a factory owner and major retail brands to create a worker-centered program to address rampant gender-based violence and harassment at five garment factories. These agreements create a code of conduct on unacceptable behavior and an independent system for reporting abuse, along with a comprehensive education and awareness program for workers and supervisors. And in Nigeria, where unions are also making C-190 real, textile workers, market vendors, and others are gaining a stronger voice at work. My guest today, Rita Guit, will tell us how. Rita leads the Nigeria Labor Congress's Department of Women and Youth and is the secretary of the NLC's National Women's Commission. But before we begin, I want to mention a couple of our upcoming episodes. In December, we'll talk with a worker rights advocate from Sri Lanka who is part of a campaign to raise awareness about wage theft and how it impacts untold numbers of people who migrate for work but who are not paid or are forced to work long hours with no days off. And next year, we'll speak with actor and activist Gabrielle Carteris about the work of the International Federation of Actors, or FIA. Gabrielle was recently elected president of FIA, which represents hundreds of thousands of performers in more than 60 countries and advocates to improve the working conditions and advance the economic and social rights of performers. Now, let's welcome Rita Guit. Rita Guit in Nigeria with the Nigerian Labor Congress. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Sister Shona. Over the course of this um, podcast, we've been doing a lot of coverage of Convention C-190, the great new convention at the international level. It's a treaty that says there should be no more violence and 
harassment in the world of work. One thing we know is that violence and harassment exists in the world of work and gender-based violence is extremely common in workplaces. You've been doing some surveys and speaking to workers in Lagos and Abuja. I know you under, you spoke to maybe 900 workers or so. I wonder if you could tell us what were some of the results of that survey? What did you learn when you talked to these workers? Yeah, first of all, I would say I'm excited to be on this program. And once more, to say excited about the convention uh, C-190 and all that it has for us as workers and ensuring that we have uh, a workplace that is free from any form of uh, violence and uh, harassment. And to say that once that uh, convention was adopted, we were excited and started work immediately because before then we were doing advocacy in support and once it was adopted, we continued to strengthen that our campaign to make sure ratification. But when we got to the level of discussions as uh, pertaining uh, ratification, then we had this challenge uh, that we asked people to deny the existence of gender-based violence and harassment in the workplace, even though we know of its prevalence and all of that. So we needed to do something to uh, come out with some evidence uh, to show that it exists. So we decided to do research with the support of the Solidarity Center and using uh, the Lagos My 12th Market. But the research, there were 19 women uh, that went out for this research. At the end of the day, we were able to interview 919. We were consciously trying to break the silence of this gender-based violence and the lack of uh, awareness uh, that is there. The uh, result that we found was really, really amazing because we now discover that there is no place free from gender-based uh, violence and, and harassment that it existed in all. Because first, as uh, the women together, we developed the questionnaire, we brought the questions that we wanted, and then we tested it. And the research results were amazing. No age or sector is free from the menace of gender-based violence. About 7.5% of the 919 women interviewed experience gender-based violence at work. 57%, Rita. Yes, uh, yeah, at work. And then about 52.2% had been threatened either by text messages or verbally or on their way to or from uh, work. Mm. And we discovered all of that. And also one of the things that was also of importance to us that uh, though this was happening, the level of uh, reporting was low. So we also asked the question, why was the uh, level of reporting low? And we found out that the uh, women workers were afraid of losing their jobs and they're also afraid of losing their relationship. And they also said before now, when they report, nothing is done. Nothing seems to be there. They thought it was not uh, important. But they were also afraid, fear of victimization. Mm -hmm. And also we also found out that one out of every five women interviewed did not report because they were confused. They didn't know what to do. 
So this research was for women that look, there's something that can be done. There's a lot of confidentiality as far as the issue of gender-based violence is, and that you can talk to uh, sisters like we talk to and all of that and talk to the National Women Commission as well. I was curious, though, before we we get into a little more discussion about what can the labor movement do to address gender-based violence and harassment at work, I'm really struck by these high numbers. And I know that that's not just Nigeria. It's common all over the world that the presence of violence against women is so high at work. When you're you're talking about numbers as high as like 57% of women experiencing harassment and at the same time, learning for the first time that 20% or more never report what happens to them. This is really powerful information for workers' rights advocates to have and for the labor movement to have so that we can do something with it, right? I wonder if you could tell us from these 919 interviews in uh, Abuja and Lagos, what were some of the stories women told you? about violence and harassment. Does anything stand out to you? What, what were common across the stories? The, what was common about uh, the story is that sexual harassment, gender-based violence exists in the, uh, the workplace. And then it happens and it was not treated as a workplace issue. For some of them, it was treated like, oh, this is just a, a women issue and uh, you have no data to show that it was happening and then for, for some of them, you know, they, it was affecting their work. And uh, sometimes they cannot put in their best. Some of them said that, in fact, when they woke up in the morning and it is time to go to work, it was like, oh, no, not again. Mm. Going back to that place to face the same person who is harassing you at the workplace. And then you are afraid. You cannot talk about it because you are afraid of losing uh, your job. You are afraid of being victimized. You are afraid of also the stigmatization and, and all of that. And then some of them uh, suffered lack of promotion. Some of them who said, no, they cannot do it. They discovered they, they are stagnated in one place uh, when promotions come because sometimes maybe it's the supervisor. So because of that, they are unable to, to get a promotion. They are also unable to put in their best. And sometimes they also, you know, they are sent on trips. They are unsolicited for. And these trips are just to accompany the male, uh, their male uh, counterparts so that they will have an opportunity to, 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 to harass the women. And sometimes also the way they are being addressed, they are called derogatory names, mm. you know, when, when that happens. Like when you are going for a meeting and the, a woman worker is uh, to go along, they call them extra uh, baggage. They call them names, you know and make sexist comments that they are very uncomfortable uh, with. And then also say that sometimes the male counterparts don't know where to draw the line between making a compliment and also making uh, what is derogatory and sexist comment. (laughs) You said derogatory statements, sexist comments, and yet also feeling fear and nervousness about reporting because they don't know, like, What's going to happen if I report it? Is there going to be retaliation against me? Will anything happen to the perpetrator? And really powerful that you and our sisters in the labor movement in Nigeria reached out worker to worker to these women workers to get their stories. 
Rita gave us a stunning description of how widespread gender-based violence is for women at the workplace. And yet, there are so many barriers to reporting this abuse, like the fear of losing out on promotions or even being fired from your job. Because for so long, gender-based violence hasn't been considered a workplace issue. That's why the C-190 Treaty is so important. When we return, we'll find out how unions and their partners in Nigeria are putting C-190's strong protections in place to stop this abuse. Hi there, it's Shauna again. I just wanted to take a minute to invite you to check out Radio Labor, the international labor movement's radio service. Radio Labor produces daily newscasts about union events and issues, and it also produces special programs to support labor campaigns around the world. Check out Radio Labor at radiolabour.net and find out more about worker rights struggles around the world and how the movement is supporting their efforts for decent wages, fair treatment, and strong communities. Follow and subscribe at radiolabor.net. Earlier, when we were talking, you mentioned Mile 12 Market in Lagos. And I wonder if you could tell us about that market. It's an international market, especially for people in East Africa. And so that means you also have migrant workers that are there in that market. Children are there, their families, and then people take advantage of uh, uh, the women workers, including minors. So we discovered that there was no code of conduct, whether on sexual harassment or gender-based violence of any kind in the market before. That people are free to come in and put in whatever cases of gender-based violence that they have suffered in in the market, they can do that. And then we train the leaders of the market, uh, the women uh, and also uh, the men and also the, the union, because the Amalgamated Union is also affiliated to the Nigeria uh, Labor Congress. So we work together with them and then the NLC, uh, National Women Commission and the NLC in Lagos to be able to, uh, 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 to do that. And, and that was because, and then we translated the, the anti-GBV uh, code into the different uh, language, the language that we understand. And that for us was uh, the turning point because now we could hear it in the language. And uh, we also work with them to develop materials and jingles aired in them in the uh, local language and all of that. And then I would say that because of the awareness raised and the anti-GBV tax force that we, we had, we were able to have a test case of a, a man of about uh, 44 who was uh, who defiled a minor of 15, and the case was uh, uh, taken to, to court. And because of uh, the networking, especially with the uh, international uh, lawyers assisting, the case was taken to court. And I said that, in fact, it's one of the cases that we are celebrating because we were able to get uh, uh, justice. And the man has been demanded in the prisons, uh, which I think serves as a deterrent. And Rita, that that story gives me the chills to to think about that 
accomplishment. I, I think a lot of listeners, you know, have heard words like sexual harassment or violence against women. And when they think about that at work, you know, it might be different people thinking about formal workplaces, offices, factories. Yeah. yeah. But, you, but you did this work in a market that millions of people visit a year at any one time, not an organized workplace like people might imagine. And yet finding women, interviewing them, learning their experiences, and then working together to generate education and awareness and posters and jingles and songs on the radio that educated people about unacceptable behavior. The idea that transformed into a legal case against a man who perpetrated violence against a young woman is a very, very powerful outcome. I wonder, since that happened, Rita, have you spoken with more women in that market? Are they aware of the changes that are coming as a result? Yes, we've been able to talk to some of them because the chairperson of Lagos is also a woman. So it is easy for them to relate with. So we were able to share with them, especially when the judgment, we got this judgment and there was a lot of jubilation. People were happy. Now they know that, yes, they, uh, they can report and something will be done. And uh, it, it was also very strategic for us because uh, the informal uh, sector workers, uh, most times people don't you know, prioritize their issues. And because of the C-190 that covers everybody, every workplace, we have to serve, especially those of us in the NLC, as a voice to the voiceless. because. Most of the time, there is nobody to listen to their stories. But we had to listen to their stories and we went through it all and we developed this together with them and they have, uh, have, have uh, continued. And in fact, recently I spoke uh, uh, to one of them and she was asking, when are you people coming to the market again to do uh, something? And we are hoping that, wow, maybe during the, the 16 days of activism, we meet that uh, market again to share the, uh, our victory with them again about uh, the case and also to find out where we are and where do we go from here. That was also very strategic uh, for us, was uh, taking a workplace from the textile, and that is a Haifa industrial uh, company, and uh, that is a private uh, sector company. And uh, we were able to penetrate into the company because first, we were able to relate with the leadership. So we had a leadership training for uh, the textile uh, uh, workers, and they were very enthusiastic about it. And they said, yes, this is something they, they, they could partner with us uh, uh, to do, more so that one of the workers had shared with us that they had suffered gender-based violence in that uh, workplace and that they were afraid. So after training the, the leadership, the leadership now decided to set a, commit, a committee which was quite strategic because a smaller committee of people from the, the union and people from the police and also including supervisors, which was quite strategic because sometimes the supervisors are the ones and, uh, and so it gave a sense of belonging. So uh, people talked uh, freely and some of the things that we agreed upon in the, uh, that workplace was the establishment of a clearly written workplace policy on the gender-based violence and harassment in the workplace, uh, the provision of uh, uh, EAC materials, posters, and also having messages to say that that company 
uh, has a, a zero uh, uh, policy tolerance on uh, gender-based violence, which was conspicuously put and with the uh, suggestion boxes and, of course, a commitment from the management to address the issue of uh, discrimination against female workers on the issue of promotion. And also, the textile union has also gone ahead, you know, to take concrete steps to be able to amend their constitution to include uh, the language of uh, C-190 in it and hopefully also to have it in the collective uh, bargaining agreement. It's really uh, important that we're talking about these concrete examples of ways that workers in a formal workplace like a factory or in an informal workplace like a market, in either case, unions and worker advocates are coming together to talk to women, understand their real stories, their real experiences, and then make concrete change. That's the dream of these international treaties like Convention C-190 to eradicate violence and harassment in the world of work. It's that we make those dreams that are in those global treaties and those global agreements, that we make them real and concrete for workers on the ground. And only unions can do that. Unions talking directly with workers about their experiences and finding ways to to fix it, to stop this horrible human rights abuse that is violence against workers and especially including gender-based violence. And Rita, it, it takes me back a little bit earlier in this interview when you were talking about the methodology that you used to to learn about what was happening with workers um, in your 900 interviews. And I just want to ask you, like, these stories you're sharing about what women experience at work, the, the, the threats, the demeaning words, the, the fact that fear and intimidation keeps them from reporting. I, I bet as, an, as you and your, your sisters doing the interviews, when you heard those stories, they must have really been impacting you. You must have felt a sense of a duty, of course, to treat their stories seriously, but also impacted yeah. you and your, your heart. Can you, can you tell me for the people doing the interviews, did you work on like how um, to handle the feelings that might come up for them when they're doing these interviews on these very difficult subjects? Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Shona, for asking that question, because um, even when the women that uh, went for the interview came back, some of them, you know, share this experience because, you know, sometimes uh, uh, you might be reading stories. You can hear people write stories, but meeting somebody one-on-one and you are talking, you know, the emotions uh, that come with it and all of that. And also the trusts, you know, person is saying, okay, this is confidential because this happens in our, our workplace, in our organization, but I don't want them to know that I am the one that shared this uh, experience. But if it is coming as a collective from the women workers, then something that you would be comfortable uh, talking about it. And this is very, very uh, important. So at least that level of trust has been uh, established. And also, most importantly, you know, that spirit of sisterhood that, you know, building trust. When we get this information, and yes, when eventually uh, C-190 is ratified in Nigeria, it is going to be implemented. Because these are some of the concerns 
that race. And that we have also shared uh, the leadership of the NLC. And that is why we are taking concrete measures to say while we wait for the ratification, there are things that we need to do. We are thinking globally, but we are acting locally. Because what is it that works for us as uh, uh, Nigerian women uh, workers? And what works in Union A might not work in Union B. And that's why we have to pick up what works in the public sector union, uh, private sector union, and the informal uh, sector union. So a blend of all these strategies that will really address uh, gender-based violence in the workplace, because this is a worker-specific issue. It's coming from we, the workers ourselves. It is not somebody who is coming from somewhere to tell us. We are telling our stories by ourselves. Rita, what you're describing is so um, so powerful. This is a form of, of repression, of silencing women. It's, it's repressive and discriminatory. And unions are about liberation and, and freedom and equality. And when we're able to directly address violence and harassment in the world of work, we are playing our true role in helping bring about decent work with dignity. And Rita, I, you know, what what inspires you? Like, I know you've been doing this work for a long time. You're a really important feminist labor leader in the country, in the region. What has inspired you to do this work all these years? Yeah, first of all is that I feel really excited that I'm working together with other sisters because I feel strong when I see the other women, uh, women around in our campaigns, in the, uh, you know, the, the negotiations that uh, we do. And now I can also see women breaking ground in terms of even getting to the top, which is so, 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 so important because once they are there, they affect leadership, they are also able to put our issues strongly to say that, yes, this way we are getting results, we are getting there, uh, getting there. Slowly, but surely. And that also is an inspiration for me. Well, in no small part, because women like you are leading the way for the rest of us. And I just really want to honor and lift that up. And thank you for sharing this absolutely inspiring story. Before we close, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, one of the things that I, I really find uh, found is project, the research, and the campaign for the ratification of C-190 that we've done is to be able to uh, link up with, uh, with other, other civil society groups, other NGO of like mind, but also most importantly and strategically, it's uh, the media. You know, we have been able to break through with the media and, and now they understand the way we work, the right, the way uh, uh, we, we want it uh, done because they now have a better understanding. And the most interesting part of it is that most of them are men. So it is not like they are women, but they are men because they understand the issues though they go with. Them. And sometimes they come on their own in the office and to meet me and say, Richard, how far? Is there anything? Are we making progress? What else are we uh, doing? And then I also want to say, say that the NLC National Women Commission has been in the front line for the campaign for uh, the ratification of C-190 in Nigeria. 
It is not there yet there, but we are hopeful that it's going to be done. And this, even the Ministry of Women Affairs, the Ministry of Labor and Employment, the Ministry of Justice, and even the worker organization, you know, testify that. They said, in fact, the people that have really been in the forefront for this is the NLC women. The NLC women have been to their offices for advocacy visits. We have written letters. You know, we have done press statements, press conferences. We have, you know, you know, create a lot of public awareness, you know, and also gotten the support. Because if people are not aware, then they will not be able to support it. But once they are aware, then it is easy to win, uh, win their support and make sure that you are on the right track. And this is how leaders like you and the women of the labor movement of Nigeria are helping make a better world for workers. In Nigeria, across West Africa, and through your leadership globally, I really want to thank you for this really inspiring story, Rita. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Sexual harassment and other forms of gender-based violence at work are widespread. But as Rita showed us, unions have a vital role in addressing and preventing it through education, training, and action. Backed by the collective strength of their unions and empowered with the knowledge and tools to stop this form of discrimination and repression, workers are ensuring their workplaces are safe, their voices are heard, and all workers are treated with the dignity and the respect they deserve. Thanks again to my sister, Rita Guit, an inspiring leader in the struggle to achieve gender justice and gender equality, a dedicated advocate for the right of all workers to safe, violence-free workplaces. You can follow and subscribe to the Solidarity Center podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your shows. Learn more about the Solidarity Center at SolidarityCenter.org and follow our social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Solidarity Center podcast is a member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, and our show is produced and engineered by Adam Yaffe. A special thanks to the staff of the Solidarity Center who assisted with this podcast. In more than 60 countries around the world, we work to ensure a righteous future for workers. Dignity, freedom, equality, and justice. <laughs>